This second Sunday of Lent, we are in Luke's Gospel, and we are reading in the 13th verse, beginning at verse 1. Listen for the word of God. At that very time, there were some present who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Are those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. And then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, see here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? And he replied, sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. My friends, holy wisdom, holy words, thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O God, our rock and redeemer. Amen. So I've got a goofy little story about a fig tree I want to share with you. I say it's kind of goofy, but I still marvel these many years later. So, oh, I don't know, Rick, what was it? About 15 years ago, we had decided to put an addition on the house. And we were um, doing the preparations, getting ready for that addition, um, we were going to have to have a big uh, truck to drill piers, you know, come in the backyard. And the area where the addition was to go, there's a fig tree. And we've gotten a lot of fruit off of that fig tree over the years. And so Rick cut it down to the ground. And then just a couple weeks later, the hot water heater in the house busted and flooded the kitchen. So we decided to remodel the existing house and wait on the addition. We still haven't added the addition. <laughs> but that same year that Rick cut that fig tree down, do you know that little thing sent up sprouts and it bore seven figs? That just blows my mind. I have no idea what is in that fig tree to help it produce after being cut down, but I think the gardener in the parable would have been pretty pleased, right? We are in this journey of Lent, this second Sunday. Last Sunday, we talked about journeying through the wilderness with Jesus and 
considering how the wilderness doesn't have to just be a barren, scary place, but that it can also be a place in which we learn who we are and whose we are. And perhaps the wilderness can also become a place of solace for us as it did during Jesus' ministry as he would pull away from the crowds and he would go to a deserted place is what Luke, the phrase that Luke uses to pray and I would think to remember who he was, whose he was, and what he was called to do. So this second Sunday in Lent, we are considering a journey to and through repentance. And we've got these two passages that actually don't seem to go very well together, but they do both talk about repentance so let's see if we can break some of this apart and consider what might arise out of the scriptures for us. I find it very poignant that today this lection is about these people who are coming to Jesus and they have heard of a horrific disaster that happened at the temple in Jerusalem and they're asking him about it. I find it poignant that we are just two days hence from the horrible shootings at the mosques in New Zealand. And maybe some of the questions that are buzzing around in our heads and hearts about that also were buzzing around in the hearts and heads of those who were coming to Jesus to ask what it meant when Pilate ordered the slaughter of pilgrims in the temple at Jerusalem who were offering sacrifice. And so their question is, well, what sin did they do? What sin did they do? that brought them this kind of treatment and death. So before we consider Jesus' response, what I want us to do is go into the Hebrew scriptures for a little bit and consider something that one of my professors called the Deuteronomic Thesis. And I think I've talked to you about that before. And the Deuteronomic Thesis goes something like this. If you follow the law and you follow all of God's statutes, and attend upon the ordinances of God, then things will go well for you and you will be blessed. That's language straight out of Deuteronomy. And if you don't, then things won't go well for you. And so when my professor Bill Power was telling us about this the first day of class in my first full year of seminary, he said, so let me tell you, in this class, the Deuteronomic thesis holds if you do all the readings and you write all the papers and you study and you take the test, things will go well for you. But if not, there's not much grace. But even within the Hebrew scripture, we find argument with this thesis. In Jeremiah, the prophet says, why do the unjust prosper? and the just suffer. And then in the book of Job, we've got this wonderful story about Job who is an upright, righteous man who loses everything. 
And then, of course, his friends come to talk to him, and of course, they're presenting all kinds of variants of the Deuteronomic thesis to him, and Job won't have it. Jesus won't have it either. Jesus says, you're missing the point. Repentance is the point. Now, how does that go with that question of when bad things happen, does that mean I've sinned or my family has sinned or something like that? The people during Jesus' time living under Roman hegemony lived with the possibility of death being this far away. And the life expectancy of a Jewish male was somewhere around 30 or 35. So death was ever present, ever present. And you never knew if you were going to be in the wrong place at the wrong time when the Roman soldiers showed up. And so in the face of this, Jesus says, it's not that they have sinned, it's that we all have need for repentance so that when death occurs, when death occurs, we know that we are in the embrace of God. Now, let me just tell you, I'm not about to go into a hellfire and brimstone sermon right now, okay? Repentance oftentimes when we talk about repentance, it can seem like it's going to teeter off into that. So let's talk about that word for a minute. In Hebrew, the word that is often translated repentance is teshuvah, which means to literally turn around. Okay? It comes from the word shuv, which means to turn. And it is often translated to repent. And so my professor, Dr. Bill Power, he put it this way, described it this way. He said, say you need to take a trip to Oklahoma City. And you get on the highway, and two hours later, you realize you're on the way to Houston. And you pull off on the side of the road, and you cry, and you wring your hands. But you've got to change direction. You've got to turn to get back on the right road. There's an action that needs to take place. And then the Greek word that is translated repentance, and that word is metanoia. And metanoia has the sense of turning, but it also means to change one's mind. And it's not just a decision-making process. It is a change that happens that affects the heart, that affects one's habits, that affects one's values. It is a complete this way. And that's the kind of repentance that Jesus is talking about here, which is our life's work as a people of God. It is never, never just deciding that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. It's all the steps that come after that, and it takes time. 
It takes time, which leads us to the parable of the fig tree. So oftentimes we assign um, roles to the different characters in Jesus' parables. And I find it interesting that oftentimes the character that is understood to be the God character is usually the harsh judge, right? But let's take a look at these two characters. We've got the owner of the land who understandably wants his land to produce. He wants that fig tree that is taking up space to be producing. That's a reasonable expectation, correct? And so the third year comes and there is no fruit on this fig tree and so he tells the gardener to cut it down. And the gardener says, I understand your frustration, but let me, let me, let me nurse it a bit. Let me give it some nourishment. Let me give it some food. Isn't it just like God to take manure and be able to make fruit with it? The gardener. The gardener says, let's give it some time. And then perhaps it will, it will produce fruit. Repentance, my friends, it takes time. Because we find then when we turn that we still have work to do and that the Spirit still has work to do within us to get us not only to repentance but through repentance so that we are living with God's values and way within us instead of our own which often is enslaved to production, right? Producing. Instead of God's way, which is based on relationship, nurture, finding the way of God's wisdom as we live as this one people of God in this time and in this place with this much suffering and these many challenges. Let us take assurance in our gardener God who nourishes, nurtures, and leads us on the way. Amen.